Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah 
أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذر الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters one of the key features within the Holy Qur'an is what Allah calls Darbul Amthal or the striking of similitudes the mentioning of parables Allah Ta'ala gives us stories and moral lessons in the form of parables and these moral lessons explain concepts in everyday items and everyday experiences that everyday people can understand. And last week we spoke about some of these amthal, some of these parables that Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an. We mentioned the parable of the mirage, the sarab, the person who is walking through the desert and dehydrated, desiring water, and he sees what he thinks is water. And as he gets closer and closer, he realizes that it's not water, but instead it is just a mirage. He says this is the parable, the similitude of the person whose good deeds are null and void. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us elsewhere that people, there are some people, who will approach Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment with what they did in this life, what they thought were good deeds. And Allah says, And we'll make whatever they put forward of good actions and transform those actions into scattered dust particles. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala tells us, dear brothers and sisters, that one of the worst things that can happen to a person is for them to think that they are doing good deeds, to think that they are doing righteous actions, to think that they are a good person with whom Allah is pleased, only to find at the time of death and at the time of resurrection that Allah Ta'ala is not pleased with them and that their so-called good deeds are null and void. They are obliterated. They are canceled out. They are wiped out. Allah Ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Kahf, قُلْ هَلْ نُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِالْأَخْسَرِينَ أَعْمَالًا أَلَّذِينَ ضَلَّ سَعْيُهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَهُمْ يَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ يُحْسِنُونَ صُنْعًا Allah says, Shall we not inform you of those who are the greatest losers with respect to their deeds? Who are the greatest losers? Allah tells us, those whose efforts go astray in this life while they reckon that they are doing righteous works. They think they're doing good, but ultimately it comes to nothing whatsoever. Allah Ta'ala is warning us in numerous verses of the Qur'an that a person can amass lots of righteous actions, lots of good deeds, but those deeds can all be wiped away invalidated, cancelled out, obliterated like scattered dust particles 
where a person thinks there's something there, but on the day of judgment they find there is absolutely nothing. This, dear brothers and sisters, is what we called Ihbatul Amal. And last week we mentioned two of the things that wipe away and invalidate all good actions. We mentioned the act of shirk, worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we mentioned kufr or ridda and deen islam To disbelieve or to do an act or say a thing that entails disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which entails apostasy. And there are others that we wish to mention today, insha'Allah ta'ala. After kufr and shirk, another thing that invalidates actions that we have to be mindful of is what the scholars call a ta'alli ala Allah. A ta'alli ala Allah is basically to play God, to act as if one speaks on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to assume that one has the right and the authority to act as if they are God Almighty, declaring who is forgiven and who is not, who is going to Jannah and who is going to Jahannam. And we have the hadith of Sayyiduna Jundub ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu. He says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam told us that there was a man who said, Wallahi, by Allah, Allah will not forgive Fulan, so and so. This person is swearing an oath. They're saying, Wallahi, Allah will not forgive this person. Notice that the hadith does not mention what bad thing the person did. And we can assume they did something bad. But this person took it upon themselves to speak on behalf of Allah and say, Wallahi, Allah will not forgive this person. And the Prophet ﷺ says that Allah Jalla Jalaluhu said, Man an la li fulan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, Who is it that asserts on my behalf that I will not forgive so and so? Certainly I have forgiven him and I have invalidated your deeds. So the person who is swearing this oath, Allah will not forgive this person. Here we see from the words of the Prophet wasallam that Allah tells this person on the Day of Judgment that I have forgiven that person that you swore I would not forgive. And as for you, your deeds have been wiped away completely. Dear brothers and sisters, this means for us that you cannot go to your brother and sister and say, even if you're joking, Allah will not allow you into Jannah or you are going to hell. No one has that authority. No one can speak on behalf of Allah and say who is going to Jannah and who is going to hell unless they are receiving wahi from Allah. And that wahi is given to Rasulullah and that wahi is no more. So no one can go and say to their brother or sister, Wallahi, Allah is not going to forgive you you're not going to Jannah, you're definitely going to hell. Who do you think you are? This is speaking about Allah without knowledge. We cannot 
admit into Jannah the people we like, even people who don't believe in Jannah, and likewise we cannot kick people out of Jannah based on whims and playing God. Likewise, dear brothers and sisters, you cannot say to someone, Allah will not pardon them, Allah will not forgive them. You can't go to your brother and sister who's done something bad and say, this is so bad, Allah is not going to forgive you. You can't tell them, this is so bad, Allah is not going to accept your repentance. <coughs> Who is it that dares asserts the authority of God? Who dares play God and say that Allah will not forgive this one, Allah will not forgive that one? Listen to the words of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu as transmitted to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَتَأَلَّ عَلَيَّ أَنْ لَا أَغْفِرَ لِفُلَانِ قَدْ غَفَرْتُ لِفُلَانِ وَأَحْبَطُ عَمَلَكِ Who is it that asserts on my behalf that I will not forgive so-and-so? Certainly I have forgiven that person and I have invalidated your actions. So imagine a person. They see themselves as this pious Muslim. They see themselves as fulfilling all of the obligations of Allah upon them. They try to adhere to the way of the Prophet ﷺ in their daily life. They stay away from the haram. And they think of themselves as this pious Muslim. But on top of all of that, they play God. And they think that their piety gives them the authority to determine who is going to be forgiven and who is not? Who is going to Jannah and who is not? And they play God, assuming that they're so pious that they have this authority. And on the day of judgment, after they have died and been resurrected, they see no good deeds whatsoever. All of their obedience is out the window. It's all gone. It's all wiped away because they played God. Asserting the right to speak on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this invalidates one's actions. Other things that can invalidate and wipe away one's good deeds is to have a dislike or an aversion for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. This also cancels out a person's good deeds. To dislike anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed, or anything of the rulings of God that the Messenger sallallahu has transmitted to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in Surah Muhammad, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِهُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ فَأَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالَهُمْ That is because they disliked what Allah had revealed, and so He invalidated their actions. Who is this person? This is the person who, whether verbally with their tongue or internally in their heart, say, they say, either verbally they say it or they say it in their hearts. They say, Allah has made this thing haram. But I think it should be halal. I don't like the fact that it's haram. I'd rather it be halal. It's better if it was halal. This is the person who says, verbally or internally, that this thing that is forbidden should not be forbidden. Or this thing that is 
allowed, that is halal, I don't like it, and I wish it was haram. This is the person who, when they hear the words of Allah Ta'ala conveying his injunctions, his ahkam, the laws of Allah Ta'ala in the Qur'an, they say, yes, however, man-made laws are better, they're wiser, and they're more just. For a person to say these things, or to hold these beliefs in their heart, cancels out any of their good deeds, because this is ridda an islam This is a form of apostasy, wal-iyadu billah. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ so carefully inculcated within the companions the importance of satisfaction and pleasure with everything coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We find in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he says that a person should say three times in the morning and three times in the evening the dua Raditu billahi rabba wa bil islami deena wa bi muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallama nabiyan wa fi riwaya rasula. He taught us to say three times in the morning and three times in the evening as a regular practice. I am pleased with Allah as my Lord. I am pleased with Islam as my deen. And I am pleased with the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, as my Prophet and Messenger. He says in this hadith that whoever says this three times in the morning and three times in the evening, it is the right upon Allah Ta'ala that He Jalla Jalaluhu is pleased with Him. May Allah make us pleased with Him. Amen. And may we be pleased with Him. This is easy to say in the morning. It's easy to say in the evening. And there are many people who repeat this phrase in the morning and the evening. But how many hearts truly realize the things that they are professing? رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ رَبَّا وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا وَبِمُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ نَبِيًّا وَرَسُولًا From the implications of الرِّضَى بِاللَّهِ Being pleased with Allah Ta'ala is being pleased and satisfied with his actions, his giving, his taking, his elevating and lowering, his bringing some close and some far, being pleased with the actions of Allah Ta'ala. From the implications of Ar-Ridha Billahi Rabba is to be pleased with the Ahkam of Allah, the rulings of Allah Ta'ala. And may Allah make us of those who bear witness that we as Muslims are pleased with the ahkam, the rulings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever He has made haram, we are pleased with that ruling. Whatever He has made obligatory, we are pleased with that ruling. Whatever He has made recommended for us to do, we are pleased with that ruling. Whatever He has made disliked for us to do, we are pleased with that ruling. And whatever is allowed and neutral, we are pleased with that ruling. Nothing legislated by our Creator is unwise. He does not make mistakes in His judgment. An implication of being pleased with Islam as our deen, islami deena, is to hold firm to the guidance of Allah Ta'ala and to be pleased and happy with it 
even if it goes against our own desires, and even if it goes our the inclinations of our nafs, and even if it goes against the mores, the ever-changing mores of the society around us, we are pleased with the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if everyone in the world had another opinion about it, because it comes from our Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the implications of وَرَضِيتُ وَبِدْ نَبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ نَبِيًّا وَرَسُولًا To be pleased with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم as our Prophet and Messenger. The implication of this is to take him as our highest example. To take him as our qudwa, our exemplar and model. To follow his guidance, to imitate his way and to adorn ourselves and our lives and our words with his sunnah and to strive against our desires until our desires are transformed into whatever is in conformity with him The lesson we have to draw from this dear brothers and sisters is that at the end of the day it is far better for us to acknowledge our own sins and to acknowledge our own shortcomings in following the commands of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, while acknowledging that they are just, while being pleased with them, is far better to acknowledge our shortcomings while being pleased with that standard than to be displeased with the judgment of Allah or to try and change the judgment of Allah to suit one's desires. Another thing that can invalidate our actions, dear brothers and sisters, after playing God or disliking anything Allah has revealed. Another thing that can invalidate our actions to an extent is purposely and without an excuse, missing Salatul Asr. Another act that spoils our deeds in a minor way is this neglect of Salatul Asr. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, حَافِظُوا عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ He tells us to safeguard and preserve all of the prayers. وَالصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى And in particular, the middlemost prayer. What is the middlemost prayer? According to the majority of the ulama, this is Salat al-Asr. If we look at the day starting from Fajr, then Fajr is the first prayer of the day, Dhuhr is the second, Asr is the third, Maghrib is the fourth, Isha is the fifth. If you add in Witr as the sixth, it puts Asr right in the middle. Others say that it is Salat al-Fajr. At any rate, the majority of the ulama are of the view that Salat al-Asr is a very unique and special prayer among unique and special prayers. And Allah tells us in this verse to guard all of our salawat, but in particular, Salat al-Asr, to guard Asr. And the Prophet ﷺ warned us, مَنْ تَرَكَ صَلَاتُ الْعَصْرِ فَقَدْ حَبِطَ عَمَلُهُ In Sahih al-Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said, whoever leaves Salat al-Asr, then his actions are invalidated. Again, حَبِطَ Invalidated, cancelled out. Imam al-Bukhari also records that the Prophet ﷺ said, 
الذي تفوته صلاة العصر كأنما وتر أهله وماله. The one who misses Salat al-Asr or has it miss him, this person is like one who has lost their family and all of their wealth. This means that the one who is praying Asr outside of its prescribed time, without an excuse, out of laziness and neglect, they are under the divine threat that they will suffer extreme regret and possibly punishment on the last day. Worse than the pain one would experience in this life if they were to lose in one fell swoop all of their family and all of their wealth. Imagine a person who has their wife and their children and their mother and father and they have their wealth in assets and property and then all of a sudden in one single event they're all wiped out. Imagine how that person would feel. And here the Prophet وسلم, is saying that the one who neglects Salatul Asr will have a feeling similar or worse than that on the Day of Judgment. Now does this mean that the one who neglects Salatul Asr is going to have all of their good deeds wiped away like the previous examples? That's not what it means here. The Prophet did not specify but we take the view of the ulama who say that the absolute wiping away, the absolute wiping away of all good deeds is only when a person does something that cancels their Islam altogether. And a person missing a salat out of neglect is still a Muslim. So this is a partial obliteration, a partial negation of good deeds. It could mean that the good deeds of that day are wiped out or the reward they would have for Salatul Asr is wiped out. It's not specified. So we leave the text as it is, so it serves as a deterrent, a zajr. So we have to beware of neglecting Salatul Asr, letting it slip us by. We have to beware of following for the whispering of shaitan telling us at work, we have enough time to get home and pray Asr, when in fact we can get home at Maghrib time because of traffic. The priority is Salatul Asr over getting home at a certain time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us proper and due reverence for His Sharia and for what He has revealed. May Allah give us humility before Him and may He discipline us with establishing Salat in our lives. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Hamdan Kathiran Tayyiban Mubarakan Fi Kama Yuhibu Rabbuna Wayarda Wasaratu Wasalam Al Ataman Al Akmanan and Mutalazimani Ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wala Alihi Wasahbihi Wasalam Wabad. Dear brothers and sisters, we have seen how over the past year or more prices of various things have been on the increase. The cost of gas, the cost of groceries, before that the cost of lumber, and now recently the cost of eggs. Prices are going up on so many things. And we worry about inflation. We worry about our wealth losing value. But what about our good deeds? What about the actions that Allah Ta'ala has created and blessed us 
to perform? What about those things losing value? What about them not just losing value? What about them being diminished to the point of obliteration, being entirely wiped out? This should be a cause for anyone's concern. Anyone who cares about meeting their Lord with Allah being pleased with them should be concerned about these things and what may lead to them. So we've talked about some of the muhbitat al-a'mal, those things that wipe away the good deeds so that we can be on guard against them. And among them is beyond what we've mentioned in the previous khutbah and today, another one of them is having bad adab, bad manners with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this can encompass a number of things. But chief among them is what Allah calls al-mushaqaqa, or contending and disputing and objecting to anything that the Prophet ﷺ has given us. Objecting, contending, and going against the commands of the Prophet ﷺ can invalidate one's good actions. Allah Ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَشَاقُوا الرَّسُولَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الْهُدَى لَنْ يَضُرُّوا اللَّهَ شَيْئًا وَسَيُحْبِطُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ He says subhanahu wa ta'ala that those who have disbelieved and prevented people from the path of Allah and contended and objected to the Messenger after guidance has been made clear to them, they will not harm Allah in the least, and He will invalidate their actions, wipe away any good things that they have done. One of the things that can wipe away good actions, when a person breaches the proper etiquette and manners they should have with Rasulullah is raising one's voice in His presence. Raising one's voice above the voice of Rasulullah Allah tells us in Surah Al-Hujarat يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَرْفَعُوا أَصْوَاتَكُمْ فَوْقَ صَوْتِ النَّبِيِّ وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضِ أَنْ تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالَكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ He says, O oh, you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the, of the Prophet. And do not make your calling out to the Messenger like you're calling out to one another, lest your deeds are invalidated. And Lest your deeds are invalidated and you are unaware. Why was this verse revealed, dear brothers and sisters? The ulama mentioned a couple of different asbab. One of them is the story of Banu Tamim. Some of the tribal leaders from Banu Tamim in the Najd, in the eastern highlands of Arabia, embraced Islam. And they traveled a long way to go and formally pledge their loyalty to the Prophet Muhammad But being that they are from the Najd, a very far away area, a very rural area, and they're not a city folk, they did not know the proper etiquette to have when addressing the Prophet so when they arrived in Medina, the hadith says that they came right outside of the house of Rasulullah and said, Ya Muhammad, come out so we can pledge our loyalty to you. And this verse was revealed 
to educate them and us that we should not raise our voices above the voice of the Prophet ﷺ or make our calling out to him like we call out to each other. Another reason why this verse was revealed, it's also in connection with the same story, but this time it concerns Sayyiduna Abu Bakr and Sayyiduna Umar anhuma. It's mentioned that as that tribe was coming, making its way to go pledge their loyalty, Abu Bakr and Umar were discussing among themselves, who was it exactly who sent them, who told them to come? So Abu Bakr says, it was so-and-so, and Umar said, no, it was so-and-so who sent them and told them to come. And they were going back and forth saying, no, it was this one. Umar says, no, it was that one. And in this back and forth, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and Umar began to raise their voices. Where were they? They were not far from the house of the Prophet And after this incident, the verse was revealed, also teaching Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma adab with respect to the Prophet As-Sahabi, the companion Abdullah ibn Zubayr, he says, after this occurred, Umar radiallahu anhu, would, when he would quote the words of the Prophet he would do so while whispering. He would whisper the words of the Prophet until they were heard. He did not want to be raising his voice in the vicinity of the grave of the Prophet So the question that comes from this that people may ask themselves is if this invalidates actions, does it only apply to when the Prophet was physically alive in the dunya? Or does it apply after his passing as well? And we see from the actions of Sayyidina Umar the answer that it applies to his physical life as it applies to his passing. As the Imam say, حُرْمَتُهُ فِي الْمَوْتِ كَحُرْمَتِهِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ That the sanctity owed to him in death is the same as it is owed to him in life. We see in Bukhari from Sa'ib ibn Yazid, Sa'ib ibn Yazid says, one day I was in the masjid meaning in Medina, in the masjid of the Prophet and I felt a pebble, the pebble hit my foot. Imagine you're sitting in the masjid now and you feel something on your foot, hits your left leg. You're gonna look over and wonder who, who threw that at me. He felt a pebble hit his foot and he looked over and who did he see? He saw Umar radiallahu anhu. He told As-Sa'ib ibn Yazid, ta'al, come here. And Sa'ib came, and he says, I want you to go and bring me those two men over there. There were two men off at the distance. And so Sa'ib says, I got up and I told these individuals to come, that Umar, who's the Khalifa at the time, wants to speak with them. So these two men come and he asks them, Where are you two from and where did you come from? And they said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, we came from the city of Ta'if. This means they're outsiders. They're not natives of Medina. Perhaps they're even new in their Islam. And when the Umar heard this, he said to them, if you were locals, I would have punished you for raising your voices in the message of the Messenger of Allah So the verse still applies in his life and after his passing. The great Imam Qadr Iyad, he mentions in the Shifa, that when the Khalifa of the time, the Abbasid Khalifa Abu Ja'far Mansur 
came to Medina, he was engaging in a back and forth with Imam Malik, something of a debate. He was engaging in this back and forth. But Imam Malik held back and he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, لا ترفع صوتك في مسجد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Do not raise your voice in the masjid of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم فإن الله أدب قوما إذ قال لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي Allah, he instilled and he corrected some people when he said to them don't raise your voice above the voice of the Messenger and he praised other people when he says that those who lower their voices in the presence of the Messenger of Allah, it is they whose hearts Allah has tested with piety. And he says, and Allah condemned others, when he says that those who call out to you from behind the apartments, أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا Most of them don't have any understanding. And then he said to the Khalifa Abu Ja'far al-Mansur, إِنَّ حُرْمَتَهُ فِي الْمَوْتِ كَحُرْمَتِهِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ the sanctity of the Prophet ﷺ in death is the same as his sanctity in life. Now someone may say, yes, we believe this, this is true. However, this applies perhaps to raising voices in Medina, in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Of, re of what relevance is this to us here in North America? How does any of this apply to us? And the answer, dear brothers and sisters, is that raising one's voice over the Prophet ﷺ as a concept applies to raising it in his physical presence and in the presence of his words. Raising one's voice in his physical presence and in the presence of his words. The great judge Al-Qadi Abu Bakr ibn Arabi Al-Ma'afiri rahimahullah he says that the sanctity of the Prophet ﷺ in death is the same as the sanctity in his life. And therefore, he said, we must treat his recorded words as we would have treated his spoken words with the same level of respect. He says, when his words are read, no one must raise their voices above his words or turn away from them. How often... Is Riyadh al-Saliheen opened up in this masjid and people get up and walk away? When they hear the words of Rasulullah for whatever reason, people get up and they walk away. Who are you listening? Whose words are being recited? Not my words. This is what the Qadi says. And then Khatib al-Baghdadi rahimahullah, he says that raising one's voice over his applies during his life and after his passing. So when a hadith is read, you must be silent and listen attentively, just as you would listen attentively to the Qur'an. Whoever raises their voice over a hadith is like one who raises his voice over the Prophet's voice. Dear brothers and sisters, by observing this adab, whether we're in Medina, or we're here, or anywhere else on God's green earth, Allah Ta'ala promises us great things by observing this adab. The verse that we mentioned also mentions a promise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises those people two great things. He says, Those who lower their voices in the presence of the Messenger, it is they 
whose hearts Allah has tested for taqwa, and for them is maghfirah, forgiveness, وَأَجْرٌ عَظِيمٌ And a tremendous reward, not a reward that is wiped out, a reward that endures into the hereafter. May Allah Ta'ala instill us with this adab towards the Prophet and give us satisfaction with his decree, satisfaction with his guidance, and satisfaction with what he has revealed. And may Allah give us humility in knowing our place as his abid. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyyir ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Uqumu ila salatikum alhamdulillahi.